0: OK, question answers. Yeah. Q&A. Oh, thank you.
1: Thank you, Willie. Thank you. Yeah. So oh, yeah, we got one. Uh, is there anything important or true that relativism has to say? Is there anything important or true relativism has to say?
0: Yeah, I like that question a lot. Um, I think that there are, I think all ideologies are based off of some sort of truth. And otherwise, they don't get any movement at all. There's no ground behind. So I think like Marxism, I think that there's actually, that it's based off of like true and right thinking and desires that just get twisted and, and overemphasized in wrong ways. And so I, I do think that there's truth to be found or th- at least things to be learned from every single movement of thinking and ideology. And so I think that that's a really good question. Um, I would say that there there is truth to the idea that... Um, there's a centrality to our inner beliefs and our inner desires and, and and what we actually feel about things and that there's a centrality to our identity in, mm-hmm. in relation to that. Um, I just think that it doesn't go far enough because it doesn't recognize that mm-hmm. they need to be changed oftentimes. And mm-hmm. so I think introspection's good and, and a focus on the inner self is good and mm-hmm. your inner feelings and desires, that's a good thing, but they just need to be put in proper perspective. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I would say there is, there is truth in it. And a, a couple of things I can point out one, I would say it is based on the fact that people are different, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, that's, that's one thing they, I do think they get right, but they take it to an extreme. So like, um, you have different preferences and, and, and habits and idiosyncrasies that you do. And I have my own thing. So I have a different daily routine than you do. And, Obviously, that's a diversity right there, some, some type of diversity, but then I would say, like, um, relativism takes it to the extreme and says, okay, that's reality, mm-hmm. right? That's all of reality, and that can sp- explain everything. Um, now, uh, another example I can kind of give you that, that shows this, um, I would actually say it's like a balance. So morality, there, there's three types of morality. There's uh, absolute morality, there's objective morality, and subjective morality. So I would say objective morality is like the balance that's that's what we get right. but I would say absolute morality takes it to an extreme, and subjective morality takes it to another extreme. But absolute morality and subjective morality are still based on like the idea that things can be right and wrong, and I think that's a truth right there. Um, the only thing is that absolute morality isn't sensitive to the situation, mm-hmm. and subjective morality um, basically says truth is found within us and i i would say it, it goes to the extremes right yeah. but then i would say objective morality is a nice balance right
0: yeah mm-hmm. uh, one other positive thing um so this is kind of a long historical development of all these like, tons of different philosophical ideologies that have contributed to how our world is today mm-hmm. and a great book on this is the rise and triumph of the modern self by carl truman it's really good and mm-hmm. talks about all these different things and gives like a good historical analysis of why we are the way that we are today um but like even in the ways that it's impacted the church the focus is um so the idea of like having a personal testimony that you share mm-hmm. of your conversion experience that's a pretty modern idea actually um it, it's found throughout church history but that idea of like uh, that's kind of birthed out of like revivalist american um, american revival preaching in like the 17th 18th century and stuff um where you get this focus off like somebody having an actual true conversion experience now that's that's a good thing. I think I think it can go too far though like we see I think I think people today put too much focus on that, and they often like whoever has the most crazy story has the most authentic Christian experience or something like that. and so there's a there's a a desire to sensationalize our testimony mm-hmm. and to make it more grand than it really is mm-hmm. so that, that, that I think that's a temptation in evangelicalism today. yeah. But I think it came out of a true good thing of like well you do need to have a personal encounter with God you know mm-hmm. um, it's not just enough to just be baptized and go to church yeah. um, so everything needs to be balanced right
1: yeah and I would I would also say another good thing really quick and then we'll go to the the next question but um, he so will said that it's a bunch of like philosophies and different systems working together and adding to this so like uh, relativism has permeated a lot of things and it has produced some good things so like, in philosophy where um subjective thinking or the idea like oh we create things came into play is when um the classical sense of logic turned to like the modern or symbolic sense of logic where oh we have these symbols and we give those symbols meaning that's actually where like subjectivism really arose in the philosophical area of oh how do we think um and so that itself it produced some good things like using symbolic logic or or symbols in in math and uh, and all that it, it produced revolutions in in modern times it's why we have had like great scientific so well some great scientific discoveries that that change in thinking but it went way too far right um and we we started with the with the wrong assumption but it still produced some good things um but we would say foundationally it's it's incorrect yeah oh yeah Yeah, so what contributes most to the idea of relativism permeating our society?
0: Yeah, I blame. Uh, (laughs) Well, none of these things are reductionistic answers are almost always wrong, (laughs) but like, yeah, there's dozens and dozens of things that contribute to that idea i think that there are a lot of um what starts in like academic circles um these sort of these these things start up top like philosophical ideas and then these slowly trickle down through the academy i think and then it bleeds into like culture and art and music and all these different things so it's been a slow shift over time and i think that we're all influenced by a lot of that stuff um but i would say like today especially with the idea of of gender and whatnot in young kids that is hugely accelerated by social media mm-hmm. and and the idea of a uh, a popularization or a celebration of the idea or the idea that um this is something that like just a ton of people are feeling like mm-hmm. just all like the identification of gender fluidity is something that is is just like spiking and so is it like is it is it really that there are just all of a sudden that many more gender fluid people or is there now a a, a pull or a draw to putting yourself in that sort of community or that sort of space mm-hmm. where you're where you're making those sorts of claims about yourself. And I think there is a draw and a pull to do that today. Um I think there's a huge social aspect and social benefit to putting yourself in that sort of community. Yeah.
1: Um I would also say it's it's appealing at first. Mm-hmm. So that that's how it's deceptive. So Uh, if it started as a philosophical idea and trickled down all the way to the point of getting into art and music and entertainment and stuff like that. Well, if you sit down with someone and like give them the original philosophical, like layout of how this happened, they won't care. Most people won't care about that, honestly. But if you go to like layman or just the common person, uh, on the street and you go up to them and you're talking about art and beauty and things that are really cool in our culture right now, like uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or something like that. Well, that's gonna be very persuasive. They're gonna think it's awesome. And um, also, uh, like Will Early was talking about, oh, when someone goes to therapy today, it's not, oh, you're wrong, it's the world is wrong. Well, that's very appealing at first when you first think about it. You're like, oh, I don't have a problem. Great, Mm -hmm. great, I don't want a problem. Um, Even though you do, right? um so people don't want those problems so uh it sounds nice but then what happens is they don't fix the problem so it gets worse right Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should,
1: should should christians use preferred pronouns
0: um I see kind of like two reasonable points of view on this from from like Christians or conservatives or whatever, mm-hmm. and like I, I hear both of these sides. So mm-hmm. I've heard Christians that I love and respect that say something along the lines of, okay, uh, in, in a general sense, I won't use preferred pronouns, but if I'm talking to someone specifically who identifies as transgender and I'm having this intimate conversation with them and they you know, I'm not going to have a conversation with them at all unless I use the right pronouns, mm-hmm. then, then conceding to that and using those pronouns would further my gospel efforts with them. And so therefore, it's, it's fine in that instance. So I've heard people go that route. Or just in general, you should just be nice and use those pronouns because that's, that's what you should do. So like, mm. I've, I've, I've actually been in like an evangelism context where that has been done. And that evangelism went well, actually if you take a more relational approach to evangelism, then yeah, you have to like not make the person hate you the first thing that comes out of your mouth, you know, if you're trying to like befriend them. Um, and then there's sort of the other, like a more hardline approach that would just say, no, we never want to say things that are false. And so we're not going to be identifying somebody when it doesn't comport with reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see both of those positions and I see that there's yeah. there's truth in both of those. I don't know exactly yeah.
1: what to do. And I've also heard some respected people that I, that I listened to say, oh, in that situation, um, follow your conscience. Mm-hmm. Like if you feel okay saying it, go for it. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting you and telling you not to go for it. So I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, now personally, what I do actually is, uh, I, I don't, I don't like saying them or using them at all. Uh, So I I would take the more hardline approach, but to make it so it doesn't hurt an intimate conversation, I actually use uh, two things. I, one, use their name or I use the word you, so I don't have to use any pronouns. So I learn their name, make it personal. So if I'm talking about that person, uh, I would say the person's name, right? And if I was talking to that person, I would just say you, right? (laughs) Um, and that gets around using like, Oh, a person's he, she, they, them, whatever they identify as type of thing. So you can take that hard line approach and still have that intimate conversation, just know their name and be careful about what you say. Cause it can be easy to say like, Oh, he, or they, or she or something. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other questions about relativism or current culture? Zachary. Yeah. Can we go back to the slide on aesthetics? Mm-hmm. Aesthetics? Um, See that beautiful drawing? So oh, what, uh, where back, was it? That, hey, that one. based on what you're saying, that the top sculpture is sculpture of painting. It's a sculpture. Yeah, yeah it's a sculpture. The top sculpture is beautiful because it has a basis in reality, and so therefore, here's a kind of objective truth. Yeah. But the bottom isn't because it doesn't. So would you say that all abstract art then is not beautiful?
0: Um it's it's tricky. That like that's going back to your first point of like what what good has the movement brought? Um i, I do think that there's some truth in this in the sense of beauty in the eyes and the beholder. I don't think the idea is completely wrong in every sense. Like mm-hmm. there are um Going back to the, the scripture example I gave of like, what does this Bible verse mean to you? Well, I think that that there's truth in that. There's there's truth in that idea of I can draw unique meanings of the scripture that more pertain to my individual life than you do. And so it's kind of relativistic in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that a balance needs to be struck. Mm-hmm. Of course, if like 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 a four year old drew that and they gave it to you as a present or something, then it's beautiful. And so it's like, uh, yeah, I would say that there's a, a, in terms of like we're going to compare something to something else, mm-hmm. and there's objective standards of beauty that's typically based on things like skill it took to make the thing, or or symmetry, or um, it actually being appealing to the eye, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, abstract art is, for the most part, I don't like it very much because yeah. it just seems to be like it's almost a game of how how dumb can I make the thing, because it doesn't matter about it. Do- mm-hmm actual the actual art piece doesn't matter. It can kind of just be whatever and that's part of the whole deal of it is like it can just be whatever and then like we went to Iceland once, me and my dad over there, and there was a art exhibit inside of a church and it was literally a pedestal and then a banana. And that was the art exhibit. And it's like so that annoys me. It's like that took no skill. So I don't know. I struggle yeah. with abstract art. Some of it's always yeah. kinda of cool. There's abstract art that i can look at and go i couldn't have done that so yeah
1: um yeah so what this so beauty has been particularly a very interesting topic for me in my studies and so i've looked at it a lot and so i would say go back to understanding truth and morality so um if you understand truth and morality correctly you can understand beauty so like um All the sculptures and the paintings of the Renaissance one they they were ordered that reflects God's nature a lot of them were actually about Jesus or about Christianity or reflected that truth and morality in some way right and so I would say that's what would make it beautiful but then there's also some type of skill as in someone didn't just take a bunch of paint and throw it on a piece of paper and say that's my art right there Um, so uh, I would say one the person actually has to put a purpose and design into it and that, and in order to do that, I would say it takes discipline and skill and practice and time. And it's not just, oh, I'm taking a crayon and putting it along a piece of paper, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's one thing I would say of like, how do we correctly identify it? So like um, an abstract piece of art, I, I, there are some abstract pieces of art where I look at it and I actually really, really like it or, um, or so well yeah, so, so that I would say one, It would be really helpful to know the artist's purpose and design behind it to see if it truly reflects truth and morality or if it reflects god and his nature in some way um or if it has some type of order or design but if it's literally just they randomly chose things and just slapped it on a painting or something or just drew them because those are the things they decided to do that day I would actually say that's somewhat chaotic and not ordered and doesn't reflect God's nature in that way Um, so so there is that Um, and and another thing we have to say is uh, our perceptions are skewed so we can't perfectly understand these things they are foundational parts of reality Um, so I'll say when when we do disagree about it I would I would say nothing follows from that disagreement so if you're like this reflects God's nature. And I'm like, okay, no, it doesn't. It's not beautiful. It's ugly. Okay. Just because we disagree on that doesn't mean that that thing is, can be beautiful and not beautiful at the same time. I would say it's either one or the other. It, it either holds beauty or does not hold beauty. It can't be both right. Um, mm-hmm. now if you, if we want to say like it holds a degree of beauty or is like a little bit beautiful, sure. We can, we can talk about that. But at that point I would say that's something we can't really hundred percent figure out right um so there's that and so a good a good like tangible way to kind of think about this is um there's actually a person who did a a video and they had an actual like good painting that they drew and they're like is this beautiful and they would show people and the people would be like yeah that's really good actually and they would agree but then uh later in the video they they switched it up they literally took a couple crayons and just scribbled on paper and then they went up to people and they're like do you think this is beautiful and it had like no purpose they did it in like 10 seconds they're like do you think it's beautiful and then the people would be like you know what yeah it's abstract i like it it's it's good and then they would actually reveal yeah I just scribbled on it it doesn't mean anything and then the person would be like wait what <laughs> um so I, I would say that's a good example of like what isn't beautiful and what okay hopefully hopefully that makes sense right there yeah i think
0: the, the- you you hit the point I was wanting to touch on was what is the art and what is the art and I think that pertains to music too what is it for and I would say okay what is art and music for in the first place Mm -hmm. is it just something that art's just here for us to get some sort of stimuli response in our brains Mm -hmm. of dopamine or something that's not the purpose of art I think all art and music is actually aimed at if it's not glorifying God then it's not actually fulfilling its purpose Mm -hmm. so that's why like classical art is like Almost always religious in nature, and yeah. music is supposed to be ordered towards that. And so I think you could
1: take that angle, which you already talked. Okay, about. no, I have something else to add okay. on this, which is really, really good. This is like a gr- so music is a great example of how uh, a beautiful thing can reflect uh, God's nature and the truth and the goodness. So, um, so in in classical education, there's something called the quadrivium. I think that's how you pronounce it, but basically there there's geometry, astronomy math and music and geometry is uh geometry is like foundational to understand astronomy and then it's it's math is foundational to understand music so music was technically like a way to apply math mm. so if we found a mathematical truth there's actually a lot of studies on this you can use math to create good music and so that's a way i would say a piece of music could reflect truth and then what is the content of that music is that music um talking about evil things and disgusting things well if your morality is in tune and correct if it's reflecting good things you'll you would be like okay that reflects truth like the math right there and the beauty because it's talking about good things i mean and the moral goodness because it's talking about good things so that's beautiful right there but if it was like a well-ordered song but it was talking about you know doing drugs all the time i would say that's it it would disturb you in some way right Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be a beautiful song even though it might be catchy but that's actually where a lot of people get it wrong because it hits one and then they get tricked by the other they're like oh it's very well ordered it's a it's very catchy tune and it's following all of the applied mathematics and it sounds great to the ear but then it's talking about disgusting things and they don't realize that and so they they allow it into their minds right and uh, it only reflects one and not the other. So it's not truly beautiful, but they're tricked by it. And that, that's another way it can be deceptive, right? Hopefully that made sense.
0: <laughs> Anything else? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Another question. If someone makes the claim all truth is relative, how would you Does any of the audience is,
0: members want to respond to that?
1: Is all truth relative? Tyler, Tyler. You got it. Hammered home. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's good. I like it. Um, yeah,
1: you got could, it. You could say, do you believe that's true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the answer. So that's, earlier we talked about relativism being self-contradictory. That's how it would be because they would say relativism is true. Okay, well, mm-hmm. if it's true, then it's true for everyone and it's not relative. Yeah. Yeah, just... Have a keen ear for those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Any these are these have been great questions, by the way. I've loved them. Right, good. Yes? yes. Um okay, so how do you respond to people who say the Bible can be interpreted differently? Because mm-hmm. like some people are like, Oh, you just have like a modern American, you have a non-denominational mm-hmm. invitation and like I not what other people believe yeah. or like Catholic church believes. Yeah. And there's like some things that are like super clear in Bible. Mm-hmm. But that's just- Yeah. So I would say two things on that. Um, so first is when it comes to interpreting a passage of scripture, I would, I would distinguish between what it means and how to apply it. So if you're applying it, I would say application could look different in your life than my life right so you could you could apply it a different way based on what you might be struggling with i might be going through some other type of sin and i might apply whatever truth we extracted to that right um and i would say application can look different based on like culture or what's happening in the culture or what's happening in individuals lives but i would say the meaning of that scripture does not change like it can't mean one thing and then another thing right um it like, those words are actually trying to send a singular message uh, of, of something we can actually take in and learn about. So that's one thing I would say. And there was the, uh, the Peter scripture that we quoted earlier that, sa- that like, in the Bible, it literally says, like, um, uh, well, you have it up. Can you, read, can you scroll back up and read it exactly?
0: Good.
1: Yeah. It
0: says, knowing the first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation.
1: Yeah. So it literally says that it's not just our own interpretation, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is when it comes to like, oh, uh, the Catholics believe in uh, something different in communion than Protestants, right? Um, for that, I would actually say, um, I would say within Christianity, we we can get like a mere Christianity type thing. So like a CS Lewis idea where we agree on the big things. Um, but when it comes to the smaller things, one, it's harder to kind of figure out and there's bound to be like some disagreement. Um, and I would say that's, again, partially because of our sinful natures. We can't know something perfectly because our minds are um, permeated with evil thoughts and and something like that. So we need renewal of that. But I would, I would say that, that would be my response at first. Do you have anything to add? Sure. Um,
0: I think there's a difference between what genuine Christians who are trying to learn the scriptures, what they're actually saying. There's a presupposition among, like, a Lutheran and a Catholic that they're saying there actually is an objective matter of fact about what the scripture means. And we're both trying to figure out what that is, but we're butting heads over it versus like a progressive Christian saying this verse can mean anything I want. There's a difference there. So that's something to flag mm-hmm. um, that one of those is truly relativistic. Whereas the other one is there's, there's a disagreement, but they're, they're presupposing that there is a matter of fact about, about the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a difference there. I would say this is one of the things that, makes me struggle the most in my Christian faith out of anything else, is this idea of all the different um, denominations and fractures within the church. It's an incredibly troubling thing to me, honestly. And it is, it's an irritating thing, and I wish it wasn't the case, but it's something that God has allowed in his providence. And, um, and so I do agree that like one of our upcoming talks will be on what we call theological triage. So that's the idea of just, what are the right hills to die on? What's a 1st rank doctrine that like, threatens someone's salvation? So, like, whether someone plays guitar and worship music doesn't fall into that category, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or whether mu- uh, music's only with organs, that, that doesn't threaten salvation, whereas denying the Trinity, if you don't understand the Trinity, then I don't, it's like um, so much more foundational to the gospel than, you know, so there are clear things we can parse out, and then there's stuff in the middle that Christians are going to disagree on, and I think there is just some uncertainty there, Yeah, you know. Yeah, thanks
1: for the question, though. Yeah, that was a good question.
0: Anything yeah.
1: else? Any other questions? Yeah. Again, these are great questions. This has been an um. awesome Q and A. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. Okay, here's here's my answer for that. Um, I so I'm not gonna like directly answer, it, but this is, this would be my approach to like relating to an, an atheist. So first thing I would say is don't give up the truth, right? Don't like, we, we can't start moving things or changing things just a little bit so I can relate to this person a little better. No, we have to hold on to the truth. That's the first thing before we even get into this. Second thing to uh, bridge the gap of difference right there. Um, there is, uh, actually I was, I was talking about, uh, Zach the other day. Uh, And he he told me about a class he took where instead of debating with someone or talking about truth, you actually just befriend them and have a relationship with them Mm -hmm. Um, and see the difference in that. I would say that's actually one way you could bridge that gap. Like, obviously, you talk about these intellectual things, but I would say um, since they are so foundationally different and it'll be hard to convince them, I would actually say um, focus part of your time there and then focus a lot on building a relationship with that person right and i would say that's how you could make up ground get them to trust you be their friend care about them that would that automatically bring the two sides closer just interacting with them and actually caring about them um now also on that if you are going to do that make sure you're still grounded in your christian community don't leave your christian community and go find uh one that is super worldly and say hey i'm befriending all these people that's going to be terrible for your spiritual health um no but stay in your christian community but befriend some atheists or Mm -hmm. befriend some um some people that are struggling with the faith or something like that yeah
0: yeah um kind of the goal of what we call like classical apologetics is to find middle ground between an unbeliever and a believer and then agree on those things and then talk about how those things lead to god Mm -hmm. so like an approach of a classical apologist is to say okay we start with the observance that um, everything that begins needs a cause or something like that. And you try to boil something down to like a really simple truth that everybody can agree on. Mm-hmm. Like an atheist should be able to agree on that. Mm-hmm. Or just the idea that things change. Something like that. Like there's mm-hmm. arguments for God's existence that start from that. Yeah. And so that's part of the goal is to find common ground and then yeah. build from that. There's other apologetics approaches that think that that's the wrong way to do it yeah. and, and do other things. But, um, we're probably good no I got something
1: great okay. on that I got something great <laughs> so so earlier we were saying about like how philosophical ideas trickle down into like art beauty and entertainment I would actually say work your way in reverse right so let's say you have a friend that doesn't believe um, go to and, and you both really like again the Marvel Cinematic Universe right the MCU mm-hmm. and you go see a movie where it just represents good moral values and Christ really really well mm-hmm. well We'll talk about that. Work your way back up. Be like, okay, this this entertainment we have, we just watched this story and what happened, everyone loved it. Why did they love that? So like when someone's being a hero, why did they love that? Work your way backward to this philosophical idea. And if they come to the wrong one, challenge them, like question them, be like, okay, is that really what, like can that really be the grounding of what just happened in in that movie that we loved, Mm. right? I would say then talk about it and Try to point it back to christ right so that could be an easy thing you can do there's actually a book that just came out by frank turek and he specifically does this with entertainment and movies and and art he, he has this, this entire book each like section is a different movie or character or hero where he goes through exactly how it represents christianity and how it represents christ and how you can talk to people about that entertainment because that's that's what everyone like really enjoys right so, yeah. That's there. good. That was good.
0: Yeah. All right. I think okay. we should do small okay, groups. Okay,
1: yeah, but we should get into small groups, okay? Um...